You can be seated. Amen. Hello, my name is Anthony Dunning. I'm the director of local outreach here. And can I just take a moment to say, as the local outreach guy, this, this warms my heart to see all of this. You know, falling off the stage. That's just great. Thank you guys for making that happen for these kids. Uh, If you would like to follow along uh, with the sermon today, uh, you can do so by texting the word notes. If you're sitting here in in here or if you're online, just text the word notes to 502-289-1387. That'll pull it up on your phone and you can follow along um, here. And if you're on your phone, that's okay. You're not going to hurt our feelings. We actually encourage it because uh, it's just a tool to add to help you kind of uh, soak some, some stuff in. Also, if you don't own a Bible, uh, we want you to. And you'll notice in the seat backs in front of you are some Bibles. Grab it. Write your name in it. Take it. It's yours. That is our gift to you because we want you to have a Bible. It's not on loan. You don't have to put it back when you're done. You can... You can keep it. If you do own a Bible, the Bible's in the seatbacks. They're for you too. And you take it and you write the name of your one in that Bible and then give it to them as a tool to help them find and follow Jesus. I want you to think about a time that you have experienced pain. And pain can come in all different forms and, and it's referred to in so many different ways. For example, we can use the word pain when we're talking about something that we have to, something we're going to say or something that we do. You've maybe heard the expression, it pains me to say this, or it pains me to do this. We can use the word pain maybe if we're talking about somebody. I think we could, we could maybe agree that our lead pastor senior, or our lead pastor Fitz is a pain in the neck, all right? I said that last service, he was sitting right over here going, "Mm -hmm." he knows. We can talk about physical pain. I stubbed my toe and I'm in great pain. And then there's emotional pain, the pain that we feel the loss of a loved one or somebody who was close to us. I think when it comes to emotional pain, all of the other pain, physical, physical, mental, abandonment, loss, all contributes to Emotional pain. Mark Moore, the author of Quest 52, this book that we have been using all year long as a supplement to God's truth, to the scripture, not in place of, but uh, to help support. He says in in week 47, that's where we're at, chapter 47, he says that the greatest form of pain is rejection. There's no pain worse than rejection. And I would agree. I'd say we all have probably had some kind of rejection in our life. Loss of uh, a loved one, failed relationship, the job or the promotion that you didn't get, trying to become part of a friend group that just didn't happen, hurtful words that have been said to you. We can make the list really go on and on. So the question we're putting out there today is not, have you ever felt pain? Because I think it would be safe to say that we all have. But how do we endure the pain? 
Let me offer some initial encouragement for those of us who might currently be dealing with pain or will deal with pain uh, in the future. Psalm 30 verse 5 says, Weeping may last through the night, but joy comes with the morning. And what an encouraging and warm verse this is to say, yes, we're going to have those moments. We're going to have seasons in our life where we go through some pain. But because we have God and because he is with us and because he is for us, we're going to get through that. We're going to come out on the other side and there's going to be joy. You've seen a TV show where they show the ending first. Uh, and then there's that subtitle that pops up. It says about 24 hours earlier. And then you watch everything that leads up to the ending you already saw. My sermon's going to kind of be like that today. Okay, so when I answer our question for, for this week and I uh, give the answer um, and spoil the ending, please don't leave. I have, uh, there's more that I'm going to say, okay? Um, <clears throat> But our big question for today is how do we endure pain? And the answer is love. We endure pain with love. And throughout scripture, we see every decision that God has made, everything that God has done has been out of love for his people and for us. All the way from the creation until November 26, 2023. Everything that he has done is because of love. 1 Corinthians 13, famously known in the Bible as the love chapter. If you've been to a wedding or even maybe at your own, if you're married, you've heard it. You've, you've heard this, this, uh, this piece of scripture used. Paul, the author of that letter to the church, church in Corinth, kind of laid out in, in there the, the what, why, and how to give love. But he didn't write it to explain romantical love. He wrote it to explain how we're to love everybody with the love that we get from Jesus and to love like Jesus. In the very last verse of this chapter, it says three things will last forever, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. And Paul didn't use these three words because he felt like, man, these sound good together. They kind of roll off the tongue nice. There's purpose as to why he chose these words. There's purpose in the order that he placed these words in this verse. Because if we are going to love like Jesus, we have to have faith and hope. And without these two, love is nothing. So let's do that part of the show now where we're going to back up. And we're going to talk about everything that leads up to everything I just said. And the subtitle on our screen will probably say about 2,000 years earlier. But don't worry, I'm not going to talk for that long. Okay. So over the last few weeks, we've been talking about uh, the part of Jesus' story where he comes into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. And then to the Last Supper, to the arrest in the garden, to standing before trial with the Sanhedrin and even Peter's denial. And today we're going to pick it up where Jesus is now standing in front of Pontius Pilate and having to face the accusations coming from the Pharisees and the people. And we're going to begin in John chapter 18 
where it says, so Pilate, the governor, went out to them and asked, what is your charge against this man? Well, we wouldn't have handed him over to you if he weren't a criminal, they reported. Then take him away and judge him by your own law, Pilate told them. Well, only the Romans are permitted to execute the Jewish leaders. Or or execute someone, the Jewish leaders replied. Now notice, when Pilate asked them what the charges are against Jesus, they don't have a great answer. They don't have a specific charge. I imagine they probably responded when Pilate asked them that question, like, well, um, see... Uh, he he's a criminal. Yeah, that's it. And Pilate's probably rolling his eyes and shaking his head going, oh boy, these guys again. And he tells them, go and, and judge them by your own law. And they respond back with, but only the Romans can execute. Ah, there it is. They want Jesus dead. But why not do it themselves? I mean, they, they had Levitical laws that pointed to the execution of somebody. They could have done that. And especially with, with the, the whole reason we'll look at here in just a minute of why they're bringing Jesus to Pilate in the first place with the charge of blasphemy, that would have led towards execution. But they're, they're trying to get Pilate to do it because of the time of year that it is. And they are in the process of celebrating Passover. For them to be any more involved than they already are in getting Jesus executed potentially would have made them unclean and not able to celebrate Passover. And so this was a big deal for them. When they brought Jesus to Pilate, they wouldn't even enter Pilate's house for fear of becoming unclean and not being able to celebrate Passover. But eventually they do list some actual charges against Jesus. Charge number one. Well, he's misled the nation. He's encouraging people to oppose the Romans. No, because in actual fact, the Pharisees were doing that uh, quite a bit. Not directly violently, but telling people, don't do this, don't do that. Charge number two. Jesus is telling people not to pay taxes. Try again. Because there's actually a a story where they actually come to Jesus with with some some money. And they ask him, hey, should we pay taxes to Caesar? Yes or no? And Jesus says, well, whose picture's on that coin? And they said, Caesar's. He's like, well, then it belongs to him. So pay taxes. And the famous line of of give to Caesars what is Caesars and give to God what is God. So he wasn't telling them to not pay taxes. It was quite the opposite. Charge number three. He is claiming to be the king. Ding, ding, ding. They got that one right. However, this was not coming from the, the breaking of the Jewish law of blasphemy. This was coming more from a place of envy. And the Pharisees were envious that Jesus is claiming to be the Messiah. And the thing with this accusation is two things. One, Pilate saw right through it. And they didn't hide their intentions well because we can see in Matthew 27 verse 18 that it says that he, being Pilate, knew very well that the religious leaders had arrested Jesus out of envy. 
The second thing with this accusation is that this charge actually did hold some weight for Pilate. The first two, that's nothing that he has to worry about. But this one, that Jesus is claiming to be king, for him in his mind, there is nobody else who is king other than Caesar. And so this now is a charge that Pilate has to look into. We're going to pick back up our story now in Matthew chapter 27. Jesus was standing before Pilate, the Roman governor. Are you the king of the Jews? The governor asked him. Jesus replied, you said it. I love that response. It wasn't like, you know, this formal answer that we would probably picture. Yes, what you have said is true. I am the king of the Jews. He's like, you said it. And so it goes on, uh, but when the leading priest and the elders made their accusations against him, Jesus remained silent. So he answers Pilate, but he remains silent when the Pharisees and the elders made theirs. Don't you hear all these charges they are bringing against you, Pilate demanded? But Jesus made no response to any of the charges, much to the governor's surprise. And those accusations brought against Jesus were false accusations. We know it. Jesus knew it. The Pharisees knew it. Pilate knew it. In fact, Pilate tried 10 times, 10 different times to release Jesus, to say, I find no fault in this guy. He's free to go. And the Pharisees and the people kept pushing back. And I love that it says that Jesus was, or or the governor was amazed And he was surprised at Jesus's lack of response. Because I'm sure as governor, Pilate would have had other cases brought to him where somebody is getting accused of something. That was part of his normal routine in the role that he was in. And what do we do when we're accused of wrongdoing? We tend to get loud and boisterous to refute the accusation. Right? And Jesus, making no response, was actually trying to not make himself look guilty. Because when we respond to false accusations, it makes us look guilty and the accusation look true. Now that doesn't mean that we don't respond ever, but there is a time and a place and a proper way to do so and in the midst of the false accusations jesus stood firm in his faith in god's goodness and he stood there in silence and we learn from him that we endure false accusations with faith in the goodness of god jesus has just been wrongly accused and remember he's in this situation because he's he was rejected by judas And then he was rejected by Peter when Peter denied him. And now he's being rejected by the people who praised and loved and adored him just a handful of days ago when he came into Jerusalem. And now they are shouting hate. And they're shouting for his death. It was the governor's custom each year during Passover to release a a Jew that was in prison. Pilate did this to help keep peace with the Jewish people so that they wouldn't revolt against him and cause riots and 
and all of the uprising that, that could happen. And now he, Pilate has Jesus, who he finds no fault in, and so he starts going through this catalog of people in prison. And he says, oh, I've got this guy named Barabbas. And Barabbas was not a good guy. Not even close. Barabbas led revolts and riots against the Roman government that became physical um, and abusive, and people were killed, sometimes even murdered on purpose. And Pilate, I'm sure, had hoped, if I put Jesus against Barabbas, they'll choose Jesus. Let's look at this interaction in Matthew 27 again at verse 15. Now, it was the governor's custom each year during the Passover celebration to release one prisoner to the crowd, anyone they wanted. This year, there was a notorious prisoner, a man named Barabbas. As the crowds gathered before Pilate's house that morning, he asked them, which one do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus, the Messiah? The crowd shouted back, Barabbas. And Pilate responded, then what should I do with Jesus, who is also called the Messiah? And if you notice, there's twice now in this conversation where Pilate is calling Jesus the Messiah. And whether he believed it or not, he's reminding the crowd, this is the Messiah. You want me, what do you want me to do with the Messiah? Trying every possible way he can to convince the crowd there's no fault with this guy. The crowd shouted back, crucify him. Why, Pilate demanded, what crime has he committed? But the mob roared even louder, crucify him. Jesus was rejected by those at one point who adored him. But even in the rejection, he had hope that they would one day know the truth. So we endure rejection with hope in Christ. Because our faith leads to hope. Faith looks back on God's faithfulness to take us on a journey of hope. And hope looks forward to those who rejected coming back around to see the truth. Peter who rejected Jesus through denial, was forgiven and ended up laying the foundation for a church. A multitude of Jews who had rejected Jesus and eventually had him crucified and put to death, repented during Pentecost and became Christians. We continue to sin and we are forgiven and continue to follow Jesus. And now Jesus is about to be rejected by Pilate. Verse 24, Pilate saw that he wasn't getting anywhere and that a riot was developing. So he sent for a bowl of water and washed his hands before the crowd saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. The responsibility is yours. And all the people yelled back, we will take responsibility for his death. We and our children. So Pilate released Barabbas to them. He ordered Jesus flogged with a lead tipped whip. And turned him over to the Roman soldiers to be crucified. And here's the rejection that really brings some pain. Because while Pilate's rejection brought Jesus physical pain, 
the people continue to reject Jesus yet again and they put it also on their children, meaning the generation to come and then the generation to come and the generation to come and generation after generation after generation, they're putting Jesus' death on those and eventually we get to today and people still reject Jesus. But there's good news. There's love. There's love. And Jesus showed that love. Listen to this. In our story from what we call Holy Week, which is Palm Sunday to Easter Sunday, we see two incidences where there is a basin or a bowl of water being used. One of those is in our story today where Pilate has a bowl of water as he's standing before the crowd and he washes his hands in a way to say, I'm out. This isn't my deal anymore. And that was twofold for Pilate to do that. One, it was a coward move to say, I don't want to deal with this anymore. Two, it was a way to poke fun at the religious leaders. Back in Deuteronomy in the Old Testament where the Levitical law was being set up, if you were accused of murdering somebody, you could go through the ceremony of washing your hands to say, I'm not guilty of this, I'm innocent. And so that's what Pilate was doing. He, he was washing his hands to poke fun at them, to say, listen, I look, I'm doing one of your rituals to say, I'm not guilty. The, the other instance of the bowl of water is when Jesus is in the upper room at the last supper and he's about to wash his disciples feet and he bends down and he starts to wash their feet of the dirt that had been collected throughout the day. And the disciples say, no, 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 we should be doing this to you. And Jesus says, I have to do this or you cannot be a part of me. And what Jesus was doing was, it was a symbolism of washing away the dirt, the sin that was in their life. And for Jesus to go up on that cross to allow our sin to be washed away so that we can be a part of him. Pilate used water to try and wash away guilt. Jesus used water to show love. If you need Jesus' love and have not yet made that decision, but you say, I I want it. I want Jesus' love in my life. I want Jesus to be the true king of my life. We have water. It's right there. And it's ready. And all you got to do is make that decision for Jesus to be the true king of your life. And there it is. And if you want to make that decision, then please come talk to me. Come find one of our next step volunteers who are going to be in a bright teal colored shirt. Any of us are going to be more than happy and more than willing to talk with you about what it looks like to make Jesus the true king of your life. Faith brings us to hope. Hope allows us to forgive. And when we have both of these, we can love like Jesus. And when we love like Jesus, we endure pain. As we endure pain, 
with the love of Jesus. Jesus endured pain. He suffered through physical beatings and emotional blows, all because of love. All because of love, Jesus went through all of that suffering because he loves us, because he loves you and he loves me. And this is a love that never ends. It's a love that never stops. It's a love that never changes. It's a love that never fails. And it will always be there. And he showed us that love through the suffering and the death that he did on that cross because he suffered for us, not because of us. He suffered for us. He suffered because he loves us, because he wants us to be a part of him. He wants us to be his children. He suffered for us. So have faith in the goodness of God that he is with us and he's for us and that we can endure false accusations. Have hope that those who come against us will and can be forgiven by Jesus and by us so that they can see truth and we can endure rejection. Have and always give love so that the pain of rejection, when that comes, we can endure it and we can help others find and follow him. Because three things will last forever. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. Let's pray. Jesus, you have endured pain because of rejection. Rejection from not wanting to be your child. Rejection from sin we commit. Rejection from us not seeking your love. And Jesus, we are sorry. Forgive us. Please forgive us and work in our hearts to forgive others and to show them your love. Allow us to have faith in your goodness. Hope that truth will be seen and a love that will help everybody find and follow you. Jesus, we love you, and it's your name we pray. Amen.